All right, we're gonna, I'm going to invite Ted Hansen to come on up here. This is my dad. I'm lucky to have him as my dad. But it's not just my dad. He's, my, he's a spiritual father to this house. He's a spiritual father to me. Um, and he has a ministry called House of Bread Ministry, which is like a parent ministry to who we are and making an impact all over the world. So let's just put a demand on the gift that God is in his life. God, we just thank you, God, right now for Ted Hansen. We thank you, God, for the man that you've given us. The obedience that he walks in, God, the anointing that he walks in. And I just put a demand on that anointing to even be greater today, God, so that you are waking, waking your body up, waking us up as your family, as your bride. Make us whole. Make us experience what he's bringing, God. Not just see and know it in our heads, but let us become more of these things that you're delivering today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Appreciate that. I'm going to sit down here. Well, we get going. Just a quick announcement. I have a brand new book that just came out. Uh, it's on Amazon now. It doesn't have the gray line across the front. This is a draft copy. But it's Friendship with God, the Empowerment of Honor and Grace. And uh, this is one of my best projects. It's, it's uh, culminated over the past months by just indulging in the presence of God a lot in the mountains so since July, August, September, October, November, December. And uh, my friend... God just showing me that the most important thing that I've known in 50 years of knowing him is that he's my friend and I'm becoming his friend. And he's showing me that a friend doesn't need anything. And so if he's my friend, he's my friend because he doesn't need anything. And if I can be his friend, it's where I come to the place where I don't need anything. And I don't approach him as my savior. I don't approach him as my deliverer. I don't approach him as my healer. He's my friend who just happens to have the ability to heal. He's my friend who happens to have the ability to save in any situation. He's my friend who happens to be able to deliver me from any circumstance. But he's more powerful than a savior or a deliverer or a lord or a master or a teacher. Or, he's a friend. And, uh, and I'm growing to know that. So I think this book pr uh, presents that pretty good. The cover picture is my granddaughter uh, pushing me around on FaceTime in a stroller because I'm her friend and she doesn't want to hang up the phone. And so that's how the cover got on there. And she got excited one day because we're going to go to Gopa's house. He's my friend. You see, and you know how she knows that I'm her friend? I make myself her size and I move into her world. Do you know that God makes himself your size and he moves into your world so you can get a glimpse of who he is? Anyway, I'm excited about the book. You can get it in ebook or print on Amazon. It'll be audio book sometime in the next couple of months. We get that done. Also today, when I'm speaking on, there is a set of notes. There's like three pages. Trust me, I'm not going to go line by line. You can study that out. But And those are up over here. Seven things, and these are... Seven things that a leader must lead. Seven things a believer must live. Before we begin, I'm going to pray and invite my friend, Holy Spirit, to help us because we hear things through a mindset of the knowledge of good and evil. And God has never spoken anything through the mindset of the knowledge of good and evil. We've heard what he said through a filter of the knowledge of good and evil. But he's always spoken from the tree of life. And he's not interested in us knowing what we're doing or even knowing what he is doing. He's interested in us knowing who we are and in us knowing who he is. And in knowing him, we become like him. So Holy Spirit, I invite you right now as we look at the word that you inspired to be written, as we look to even words that you've spoken to each of us, we invite you to transform us, don't inform us. Please do not tell us what to do. We're not good at that. Tell us want to do. Change our hearts. Because we're really good at doing what we want to do. Father, you made us that way. You made us in the likeness and image of you. You are a creator. You're a life giver. 
And you made us in the likeness and image of the giver, you. You didn't make us so that we would be distracted by things or doing, but that we would know you and then all things and all doing would become expressions of life. So we invite you right now. Would you teach us? Would you teach us from the inside out by transformation today? I invite you, Holy Spirit, to touch us spirit, soul, and physically, to bring healing, spirit, soul, and body, to bring deliverance, spirit, soul, and body, to cause us to become life in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this subject, seven things. This is seven things that every leader must lead. It's a non-negotiable in my life. I'll die on the cross for this one. Uh, and it's seven things a believer must live. And so Christ in us gives us the reason of use in being a testimony of a member of the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ. The body of Jesus, who was the body of Christ, gave his life on a tree, on a cross, which was a symbol of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. And he was a different kind of family tree than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was part of the family tree of life. He always knew and he grew in knowing that God was his father, the one who doesn't need anything, the one who gives life, who gives breath, who gives all things, was his father. And he grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowing the giver. And in growing and knowing the giver, he grew in being a giver as a human being in our world. And so he was the tree of life in body form. He was the body of Christ with the headship of Christ. And he willingly gave his body. We didn't kill him. You can't kill life. But life can choose to die. But in choosing to die, life can't stay dead because life is life. So life spread out his arms, willingly yielded his feet, was crucified on our tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could not destroy the tree of life, but the tree of life swallowed up the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to free us. Now, the old covenant was all about instruction and information, but the new covenant is not a time in history. Most people live in Old Covenant. All people live in some measure of Old Covenant. Old Covenant is about information. Inform me. Outside in, outside in. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to act. Take me by the hand and lead me. That's Old Covenant. All of us live in that Old Covenant in some measure, but God does not want any of us to live in that kingdom by any measure. And so increasingly, he wants to change us from the inside out from a different kingdom. He wants to change us to be transformed, to be like our father, to be a giver. As he gives life, he gives breath, he gives all things. He makes us come alive. He makes us become an expression of him in the uniqueness of who we are. And then he partners with us as life, partnering with us in everything. He wants us to grow in that same nature, in that same way. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever the writer of Hebrews was, pretty gutsy. I think he was Paul, but that's totally conjecture. I know Paul's heart was for his countrymen. And so whoever wrote it, first of all, addressed a group of people by a name they didn't call themselves anymore. They called themselves Jews, but they originally were Hebrews, Hapirus. That's a race of people that is not birthed naturally. You understand that Hebrews didn't get out of the boat of Noah. Ham, Shem, and Japheth 
got out of the boat of Noah and made 70 nations that became all the peoples of the earth. You can trace that out in Genesis. But one of those nations was a Chaldean nation, a nation that meant uh, demons. And if you were from a place called Ur of Chaldee, which a guy named Abram was, that's the place of burning demons. That's where you give your life to gods that are takers. You give your children to gods who are takers. And you offer them to the god Molech, the god of fire, who destroys your babies so that you won't die. And you're willing to sacrifice the future for today. That's Keldi. That's Ur of Keldi. And out of that depraved nation, God called a man named Abram and transformed him ah, into an Abraham. Abraham, ah, the sound of God. He transformed a Chaldean to a, ah, a Hebrew. Hebrew is a supernatural race, never intended to be politicized, never intended to be a natural race. Abraham is not the father of the Jews. He's the father of ah, Hebrews. He's the father of faith, which is made of Jew and Gentile. So the writer of Hebrews gets really gutsy because he's writing to people who are Jews in the first century about four years before their Judeo system is destroyed, before their temple is destroyed, this writer of Hebrews writes, and he's appealing them to know that their covenant was not with Moses. Their covenant was not with the Aaronic priesthood. Their covenant was with Abraham, the father of faith, who encountered ha, Melchizedek, the king of kings, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He encountered Jesus in the old covenant. He encountered a new covenant reality on his journey. He encountered the one and only one who could change his identity to truth, who could transform him from being the father of a nation, Abram, to who God always knew who he really was, Ah, Abraham, the father of many nations, a father of faith. So the writer of Hebrews is appealing to them. And if you read Hebrews 5, he's appealing to them. He's saying, you're stuck in this information thing. You're stuck in being informed. You're stuck in covenants of being told what to do. But right now, you need to know you can have reason of use. That's what Hebrews 5 says. You can have reason of use because it's through reason of use that you learn the difference between good and evil. You learn what works and what doesn't. You learn what produces life and what doesn't. I'm 50 years old in Christ. I've learned some things that produce life and I've learned some things that don't. <laughs> and I'm not done, and neither are you but it's through reason of use, through reason of connection with God, through reason of Holy Spirit being in your life, through reason of exercising being a giver of life supernaturally. So now, the writer of Hebrews then comes to Hebrews 6, verse 1. Now, there are no chapters and verses in this letter that Hebrews wrote until around the, the, the 11th century or 1200, actually. The year 1200 is when verses and numbers were added. So I've got to tell you, I'm sorry for those who you who really get on numbers and you're saying, you know, that Scripture is all holy about this chapter and this verse. None of that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is not the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't have chapters and verses. It has stories. Chapters and verses help you find places, but they also make you person insensitive. And they make it so that you take verses out of context to either kill yourself or to kill others. You take something from the love story, excuse me, <laughs> ambush, 
You take something from the love story of your father and you use it to destroy yourself or to destroy someone else when you add numbers and rigid things to the heart of God. So Hebrews 6 is a continuation of the story for reason of use. And so the writer says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Oh, help me. Translators are so stuck in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not what the writer is saying here. The word leaving there means to be thrust forward. It's a forceful word. It's not a walk away from. It's you being sent. You're being empowered. We can use this particular Greek word leaving if there's a force behind us that's making us go forward. You're being sent. You're leaving. You're going forward. Therefore, being sent, going forward, from the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the literal Greek words are there from the logos of the ark, Christ. The word ark is where you get the word you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against ark, principality. So I think you could actually say this. You can say this. You are being thrust forward. You are being sent forward because of the expression of the principality, Christ. Not the principles of head knowledge or even the principles of heart knowledge. The principality, Christ, is the foundation of your life as a member of the body of Christ. It's the foundation of your life that causes you to be thrust forward to perfection, it says. Going on to perfection, the fullness of maturity. I'm going to call perfection number seven because that's the ultimate goal is we're constantly going to perfection because there's seven things in this verse if we count going on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, one, faith toward God, two, the doctrine of baptisms, three, laying on of hands, number four, resurrection of the dead, number five, and eternal judgment, singular, number six, which then leads to perfection. Seven things in these verses that can only be understood from the tree of life, and these are seven things that every leader must lead, seven things every believer must live. These same seven things can be found in the book of Acts when the body of Christ was anointed to be the body of Christ. How was the body of Christ anointed to be the body of Christ? Christ came upon the body to cause what was in the body to come from the inside out, to be the body of Christ. For there to be enough evidence supernaturally in a natural world that this is the body of Christ. And on the day that that happened, ah, oh, there was an amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that came on the body of Christ. It was so amazing that 4,000 believed in the demonstration that happened by the evidence that they saw, not by Jesus who was in heaven, but by Jesus Christ, Christ's body on earth joined to Jesus in heaven. Caused 4,000 to say, oh, what must we do? And in Acts chapter 2, verses 38, 37, 38, and verse 42, you find seven things that happened when the body of Christ was birthed. The first thing was that they were to repent. The second thing was they were to do a work, to be baptized into the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, be identified through a, an act of water baptism, to receive the gift of Holy Spirit, to continue, to be able to continue steadfastly in the apostles, the sent ones' way of life, their doctrine, to be able to continue to be part of a fellowship, to be part of a breaking of bread, and to be part of prayer. Now, slow down, because we're going to talk about these seven things. We'll put these now in English. Holy Spirit's going to help us, because these are not informational deals, okay? Repent from dead works, repent. 
Those are the two things. Acts calls it repent. The writer of Hebrews says repent from dead works. God does not want you to repent from being evil. He wants you to repent from being dead. Because the very first curse of the fall is wherever there's a dead place, there has to be an illegitimate Lord. Wherever there's a dead spot in your life, there has to be an illegitimate deceiver, conflictor, devourer. So wherever you're dead in your heart, God wants to give you a gift called repentance unto life. In the book of Acts, as the apostles... The foundation of the church were explaining to the Jews what was going on. They said that God wants to grant Israel repentance unto life. Wants to grant them. You got a grant? We got some grants. Grants you don't pay back. Grants are gifts from a government. The government of life wants to give you a grant of coming alive. Okay, so what does that look like? This is something every leader should lead, every believer should live. Okay, 49 years ago, I came to Christ 50 years ago in May, but 49 years ago, I was a new believer. I had come out of a lifestyle of depravity. I've come out of a lifestyle of darkness. I was a daily drug user. I was a daily... Uh, alcoholic drinker. I weighed 120 pounds, drank as many as 28 beers in a day. Drank a minimum of six along with a lid of grass every day and a half. And by the way, if you think that stuff doesn't lead to something, you're talking to a novice right here. I know exactly what it leads to. And it's not drugs that it leads to. It's spiritual realities that it leads to that you don't even know. Anything that you go to that gives you comfort other than the comforter is going to give you a stronghold in your life that's going to be a taker, not a giver. Anything that you go to in your life that's going to be a comfort other than the comforter, Holy Spirit, is going to be a taker and not a giver. And you're going to find out at some point in life, you're going to realize, I'm stuck with a taker. I need to let it go. I really appreciate how Pastor Danny has been vulnerable and shared with us about you got to let some stuff go. It's taking stuff. You don't need that. Okay, when I came out of that lifestyle, my language changed immediately. Somehow, there was an F word that, that, that was a four-letter F word. Uh, but it, it wasn't a nice word that used to come out of my mouth like every two or three or five sentences. And by the way, if that word comes out of your life easily, there's probably something dead in your heart. That word came out of my life very easy, but when I came to Jesus the very next day, it didn't come out anymore miraculously, it vanished from my vocabulary. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I was pretty good at practicing. And I was very good at quitting. I was just better at starting. One better starting than quitting. Always one better starting than quitting. And one week after I had come to Jesus, I was sitting in my car, the same car that had a large hole in the front seat from a... a a, 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 a pot seed that had popped and landed in the seat and caught my car on fire. But when I was going through my normal day activity of skipping school, I found out that my car was on fire by the time I got to second session of school. And so I had to go get a, I had to go around with a hole in my seat. But, so I'm sitting in that car. I'm trying to paint a picture. I'm sitting in that car and Holy Spirit says to me in the voice of Jesus, do you love me? And tears began to run down my cheek immediately when I heard those words, do you love me? And I said, yeah, I love you. He said, good, quit these. I threw the cigarettes away. Instantly, I threw the cigarettes away. But what was the revelation? Do you love me? 
what was the confession? Oh, like the Grinch, I got leaky. My face got warm and my eyes began to leak. And I said, I love you. And he said, good, get, get, quit these. And I threw the cigarettes away. I had no desire for smoking for the next week. A week later, I thought, this is really strange. I've had no desire. And you know what I did? I lit up a cigarette. <laughs> and I went to smoke it, and I almost puked. You see, my friend God heard my confession and then gave me a gift. The gift of being sick if I touch a cigarette. So, you know, then I, I made a lifestyle habit. I found out that Jesus is Lord. He's desire. That repentance unto life is a gift of life. And so you've heard me say many times, God, don't tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. See, even though I'd been set free instantly on some things, I was addicted to pornography. Very bad. I was addicted to pornography. I had lots of thoughts that came to me, and that went on for like a year, year and a half after I came to Jesus until I heard a story about a preacher who had been smoking cigars. God told him, I don't want you to. And, and then uh, he shared the story about how he, he, would, he lit up a cigar one day, and he said, God, I'm sorry. And the Holy Spirit says, liar. And he realized he was a liar. He said, I don't want to smoke these anymore. Holy Spirit said, liar. And out of his mouth, he said, you're right. I love cigars. I'd make sandwiches out of cigars if I could. I would smoke cigars all day long, constantly if I could. I love cigars, but I know you don't want me to. So would you change my heart? Would you be Lord of my heart? I heard that story, and I, went, I was a single man. And we had duties of taking care of a schooner, a, a sailboat. We as single guys would have to sleep on it. It was my turn to sleep on the boat. And so I, I went on the boat, and I went out there, and I'm going to sleep. And I said, Jesus, I would make sandwiches out of pornography if I could. I love it. And I confessed out of my mouth, I love it. I love it. Would you, I know you don't want me to, so would you change my heart? Would you go, would you go deeper? Would you go deeper than telling me what to do? Would you go deeper? I'm giving you permission to go into my heart. I'm giving you permission to go into my heart. You know what it really was? It was repentance from dead works. It was giving him permission to go to the dead place and be Lord. To give me his desire. See? So now... Holy Spirit, whatever is going on in our life, I, I, I could teach in depth on this. I don't need to. It's just reason of use here. I'm just praying for us right now. Put your hand on your heart or somewhere, if you will. Holy Spirit, every one of us have some dead places that, uh, that fulfillments come to us from the outside in. We, we look for love in the wrong place. Uh, and you love us. You're not trying to like instantly change us. Uh, you're constantly changing us. You're showing us our vulnerability so that we know your love that much more. So Holy Spirit, help us. Whatever dead places are there, we're not going to go on a fix-it hunt, but we are going to go on a daily walk with you. That you would grant us the ability to return to our first work, being loved by you. So that we can walk with you and we can know paradise, a place of knowing you and in that the paradise of knowing you evicts anything that prevents us from knowing you. Repentance from dead works. In Jesus' name, amen. So expect some results on that this week. Walk that out, okay? The second thing the writer of Hebrews says is faith toward God. Now, in Acts, that's written as be baptized, which was literally water baptism. Now, water baptism is an action that you take that speaks of your faith toward God. It's one of countless actions that you'll take in life. It's an action that perfectly depicts what this is. Big one here, faith toward God. Now, listen to me. Faith is not towards a promise. 
Faith is toward a person. Faith is toward your friend. Do you believe him? Faith works through love, which means where there's no revelation of love, faith cannot work. Because faith isn't toward a promise. Have you had anything come to pass the way you thought it should come to pass? Have you? I haven't. Have you had anything come to pass better than you thought? I've had many things. But that's because my friend, the one I have faith toward, <laughs> the one, and, and how do I know I have faith toward him? I do something. I act different. I got water baptized. A life that I now live, I don't live for me, I live for him. Everything I do to the best of my ability, which isn't much yet, it's just everything I can. Tomorrow there'll be more everything. <laughs> but I'm living a life with a different wisdom. How am I going to get to tomorrow? What's 2023 going to be like? I don't care. I don't have faith toward 2023. I have faith toward my friend in 2023. I have faith toward the one who loves me. Therefore, I'm good, good days, bad days, I'm going to do things that testify that I am hidden in him. The life that I now live, I live by faith in him. I have a different wisdom than the wisdom of the world. You know what? The wisdom of the world is based on the fear of death. You do everything you do to protect yourself from dying. But faith toward God has no fear of death. No fear of death. Not even the ultimate second death. You cannot die. You cannot be killed. If this is the year you, you die physically, you cannot die. I got really good news for you. Your friend is going to take care of it. It wouldn't matter if you're not going to get that promotion that you thought you were going to get. You're like, you know what? That's not the end of the world. Well, it might be the end of your old world. But it's not the end of the world. Because your world is hidden in Christ. There is no end to your world. <laughs> you have faith toward God. You are submerged into the identity of Jesus, the body of Christ. That's what water baptism is. It's an act that says the life that I now live, I live by faith in Christ. What kind of dad am I? I'm a dad that is an expression of Christ. What kind of a grandpa am I? I'm a grandpa that's an expression of Christ. What kind of husband am I? I'm the husband that's an expression of Christ. What kind of a person am I? I'm a human being that's submerged in Christ. Well, how do you know? Everything I do is faith toward my friend, God. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us. Say, so we all have some places where we got some fear. That means you have some places that you don't know how much God loves you. Okay, yeah. Consciously or subconsciously, doesn't matter, okay? But the one who loves you wants you to know how much he loves you because that's how faith works. Faith doesn't come by what you do. It comes by you hearing the one who loves you. You heard him, and how do we know? Whoa, it empowered you to do something. He's like lightning, you become thunder. He's like lightning, whoo, revelation, he loves you. Whoo, noise happens, you become thunder. You can't shut up. You become a testimony of what he did. So, Holy Spirit, would you help us in any area where we're afraid of death? We all have areas where we're afraid of death, but we got no death. There's no fear of death. Second death doesn't have any power over us. The ultimate death of death <laughs> has no power over us. We have faith towards you, our friend, God. And so, help us. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of wisdom, help us live as members of the body of Christ, even when we're on the toilet or in our kitchen or driving our car or our truck. There's nothing we do in life that is not living as an expression of you with skin on.
And being in skin can be fearful sometimes, but we're not skin in skin. We're life in skin. And life will always put on more life in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. Now we come to number three. Oh, this is a doozy because the translators take some words and they transliterate them instead of translate them. It says, and of the doctrine of baptisms. Two words that are not translated here. The word doctrine is not a translation. It's a transliteration. So that it sounds nice and religious and we can make it religious and turn it into Christian faith instead of Christ and humanity. It means teaching or more specifically way of life. The word baptisms is not a translation. It's a transliteration of a Greek word so that we can have a doctrine, a teaching about baptisms. This is the only one of seven things in this verse that's called a doctrine. There is no doctrine of repentance from dead works. There is no doctrine of faith toward God. There is no doctrine of laying on of hands. There is, God doesn't care what you teach about it. He doesn't care what I teach about it. And if I do teach about it, it better be just an outward evidence of the life I live connected to God in this grace. So doctrine, I'm going to translate it for us, the way of life that comes by submersions. The way of life that comes by submersions. Everybody's submerged in something. The question is, are you submerged in things that are on the outside or are you submerged in something that comes from the inside out? Receive the gift of Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, the word gift there is not the Greek word charisma, which is the power of Holy Spirit. It's the word doria in the Greek, which means gratuity. Like a tithe, a tip, a little portion of, the guarantee of the fullness of who he is. Receive the person, Holy Spirit, who's 100% in heaven, but also now in you and wants to submerge you in what's inside of you. It's going to give you an understanding. It's going to change your name, your character, your nature, your way, your power. Now, this is a way of life. Now, I have a little illustration. If you can pop up a picture of the hand on there, Kieran. I have it also. You see that little, that's a little set screw next to my hand. I have it right here. This is the size. Now, I commit my life to live naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. That means I'm going to be a supernaturally natural grandpa. But I'm also going to be a naturally supernatural grandpa. Okay? I'm going to be naturally supernatural. So I, my friend and I, we were up in the woods. The last couple of weeks we were up in the woods, and, and I was hunting, and that little set screw goes to the sight on my gun. Now, whether you like that or not, this is what it goes to. And, and I'm adjusting my sight up in the woods, and I drop that little set screw in the forest. In the ground. Not floor like this. Not even grass like you have out here that we mow. Forest ground. Drop that little set screw in the forest. And I'm looking for it. I'm on my hands and knees going through it thinking, this is impossible. And I'm thinking, do I have another one in my box? I go to my box. There's nothing in my box. I get some electrical tape. I tape my sight together thinking, no, oh, this is a 50 caliber gun. It's a cannon. It'll blast it loose. It's, not, it's raining. That's not going to work. And so finally, I'm at the front of my truck. And, and, uh, and I go, Jesus, you're my friend. Would you tell me, please, I need that. Would you show me where that screw is? So I go to the back of my truck. Now, I had to say this out of my mouth. You see, to be submerged in what's inside of you, you have to let what is inside of you come out. A lot of you are wondering, well, why don't I speak in tongues? Because you don't let what's inside of you come out. Why don't I see demons cast out? Because you don't let what's inside of you come out. And you want God to do it, but he already did it. He put it inside of you. So he wants you to be submerged in what's inside of you. In the world, everybody's submerged in something that happens in your life. You're submerged in this bitterness. You're submerged in that bitterness. You're submerged in that offense. 
okay? So I go to the back of my truck, and out of my mouth I say, well, there it is right there. And as I begin to bend down, I look, I see it, and I pick it up out of the forest. Now, if you don't think that's a miracle, I'll go throw this outside, and you go find it. So now, he wants us to have a lifestyle that comes by being submerged in the one who's inside of us. Now, you see that little illustration. Well, how is that submerging? My friend gave me understanding. Where is it? He could care less about this little set screw, but he cares 100% about me. And he answered me as my friend. I heard him from the inside out, and, but I had to do something. Okay. Now, I go through my day. I know that the day is going to have times when I'm going to need answers. I'm going to need to know what to do. Now, my lifestyle, and Andrew Shearman the same way, Andrew Shearman and I have tried to get this across to millennials and Zs because, you see, as millennials and Zs especially, uh, you have been taught a very good skill, and that is a you, you value listening. Okay, now the reason you value listening is because probably the previous generation did not listen, so you didn't feel heard. So you value listening. Okay, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Now, whatever your strength is, also becomes your weakness, because. When you value listening, sometimes what happens is you forget where you hear. The prophet Isaiah says concerning religious house of Israel, he says, hearing you don't hear, seeing you don't see, because <laughs> your hearts are heavy and your, you know, your, your, your ears are heavy and your heart is dull. Now, I've watched some modern translations. They change that to try to make sense because it would make more sense to say your ears are dull and your heart is heavy. But the prophet doesn't say that. He says you don't hear because your heart is dull and your ears are heavy, which means you're listening with your soul instead of listening with your spirit. So you want God to speak to your soul. You want God to speak to your thoughts, your reasoning, your imagination, your emotions, your desires from the outside in, and he does not do it. So you have to actually release something from inside of you to hear what your soul needs to hear because the voice of God doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. So one of the things that Andrew and I do a lot is him and I did that for four or five hours once. We couldn't speak in English. I used to work for Atlantic Richfield as an operations technician, and I was outside one time. I was doing that for five hours, and they called me on the radio, and I couldn't speak English. And then I was in the break room, and a man walked through the door, and the moment he walked through the door, he started weeping and confessing his stuff to me. So what was the interpretation of kurababata The interpretation was whatever happened when the man walked through the door, the presence of God was there, and I was able to minister Christ to him. Andrew and I spoke for four or five hours in a, in a, in a foolish, stupid sound until finally we got some deep revelation on mercy and grace. And the mercy and grace revelation came in just a few words. Paul said, it's better if we speak five words of understanding than thousands of words we don't understand. But he wasn't saying five words of your understanding. Five words of your understanding isn't worth anything when it comes to changing the world. Five words of God's understanding is enough to change your entire world. 
So if you don't have any understanding yet, speak 10,000 words that you don't understand until you get some. And if nobody has any understanding, let's all agree to speak 10,000 words we don't understand until we do understand. And when somebody gets something we do, I think I'm losing battery here. When somebody gets something that we do understand from God, then let's shut up and listen to what God says. But if we don't know what God says, let's not confess what religion says. Let's not come up with human opinion. Human opinion is not going to change our world. Political opinion is not going to change our world. What God says is going to change our world. To be submerged in his testimony is what's going to change our world. So we need to be submerged in him. So pray. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. You're the only teacher. That's why it's the way of life, the teaching that comes by you. But you don't teach informationally. I'm sharing things today, but I'm not the teacher. Nobody's going to remember what I'm saying but they will remember what you're saying to their heart when I'm saying. So, Holy Spirit, would you increase in our lives, would you give us expression to dare to release out from inside of us you so that we can be submerged in you more and more and more, submerged in your character, submerged in your power, submerged in your fruit, submerged in you, so that out of our mouth will come, well, there it is. <laughs> And we'll be changed more. Our way of life is changed by being submerged in you. Submersions, baptisms, submersions daily to be submerged in you in Jesus' name. All right? Next one, laying on of hands. Okay, look at your hands. You got those? Okay. Most people have two. Okay, some people don't have any. Nick Wojcik doesn't have any. But he lays hands on people a lot. Now, laying on of hands means God has given you authority. Hands represent authority. In the world, hands are taking instruments. That's called perverted human beings. The reason that the patriarchs use their hands, they use their hands not for taking. They use their hands for blessing to pass on the blessing, to pass on the substance to be a blessing. The hand is what gives the blessing of being a life giver. You are a light because your father is light. The moon is a reflection of light. Stars are not a reflection of light. They're like the big daddy in the sky. The big daddy in the sky we call the sun. It gives us day. But we don't live in the fullness of day yet. We still live in the night. But in the night, God has put some signs. They're called stars. They're like the big daddy in the sky, but they rule by night. They're called lights. They're fires. If their fire goes out, they become a meteorite, a comet. I don't know what they become. They become a rock, a stone. They become gone. They become a perversion of what they originally were created to be, a star. God said to Abram, look up. I'm gonna, he was going to make him Abraham. Look up. What do you see? The stars. I'll make your descendants as the stars. Everybody is a star. An ability to give light to darkness, life to death, healing to sickness. You have life coming off you. It's called authority. Peter described it this way in Acts 2. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, two words that aren't translated. The word apostle means sent one. The proof that you're a sent one is you're a sender. It means you send life. You send people to be life. You send them. If you prophesy, you proclaim to them. But if you send them, then you just might be a sent one to them because you send them. 
So if we translate it, the apostles' doctrine, the sending one's way of life. They continued steadfastly in the sending one's way of life. What was that? The sending ones constantly lived their lives to send. <laughs> to send, to release, to give life, to bring healing, to bring light to darkness, to bring life to death, to bring healing to sickness. So the laying on of hands is not a teaching about laying on of hands. It's how are you laying on hands? How are you continuing in the way of life of a sent one? The overcoming promise to us is you are the spirit of counsel. You bring light to darkness. You're given the ministry of the morning star, the ministry of the big daddy in the sky. <laughs> You're a little star in the night to be like the big daddy of the day. <laughs> this is good teaching, good foundation, apostolic teaching here. <laughs> so, a way of life. It's a sent one. So let's pray. <laughs> Father, you made us lights because that's what you are. You're the father of lights. Huh. And you delight in your children. You delight in us. We are light. So help us as the spirit of counsel to be counsel to our world, to our family, our friends. Help us to be those who lay hands on our world as givers and not takers. To give life, to be light to darkness, healing to sickness. Life to death. Help us to be givers of life by the uniqueness of who we are in the authority of who we are. Amen. By the way, authority does not equal anointing, nor does authority equal gifting. Gifting serves authority, anointing serves authority, but authority is responsibility. If you don't have the responsibility, then you don't have the ability to respond. Mind your own business. So now, find out what you do have the responsibility to respond to and give life. Send. Give life. And use the anointing in your life and the gifting of your life to serve the authority of your life. Authority always gives, authority never takes. Okay? The next thing, resurrection from the dead. It's not the teaching about the resurrection from the dead. It's resurrection from the dead. You either have it or you don't. You don't want to die without it. <laughs> don't leave home without it. Don't die without resurrection from the dead. It's how you are part of the fellowship. Okay? It's who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Your true identity is not just who you are. It's who you are in Christ. Okay, let's, you know, we had the, a wonderful meal. We had a big table here that was like, what, a week ago or so? I think it was. We had a wonderful table, people eating food. Okay, now... We do a big pot luck, a pot luck. That's where we we, have, we hope we have luck and no pot shows. No, 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 no. You know, we, a blessed meal together, okay? A blessed meal together. And, and what do you do? Oh, I, did you bring that? Did you bring that 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 casserole you usually make? Oh, oh, did, did you bring that pie? Everybody's famous for something that they bring to make it a meal, to make it a feast. Otherwise, it's just food. But, oh, did you bring? And some people, when they don't know what they are, oh, did they bring? I hope they didn't bring that again. That's when they don't know resurrection from the dead. They don't know who they are in Christ. They bring the wrong thing to the fellowship. <laughs> but when you know who you are, you live with celebration of a spirit of might, resurrection from the dead. You bring it to the table. You, you get to go forward to maturity because this is in the foundation that sends you forward is resurrection from the dead. Okay, it isn't what you believe about it. It's, you got it? <laughs> and are you being a contributor 
the Bible says it this way. He confesses you before the Father. He confesses you before angels. He confesses you as a sent one. He confesses you as uniquely who you are as part of the fellowship, the koinonia. So, Holy Spirit, help us to be who we are according to resurrection from the dead. Okay? Help us. Give us a grace to understand this more and more so that we'll know what dish we are at the table. <laughs> so that we'll know what to bring that testifies of your resurrection from the dead. doesn't just testify of the cross. It testifies of the throne. It testifies of who you are. We are each uniquely who we are in Christ. Okay, the next one. Eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is described as the breaking of bread. Yeah, you ready? I'm going to give you eternal judgment. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he shed blood seven places. The sixth place that he shed blood was through his feet. The feet represent your ability to stand in life. Okay? And when Jesus was standing on the nail of the cross, he, he had to put his weight on it because the way you die on a cross is you, you lose the ability to stand. They come and break your legs so you can't stand and then your legs collapse and then you suffocate. You, your inner organs smother you. That's how you die of crucifixion. Jesus didn't die of crucifixion. His legs weren't broken and he didn't lose his place of standing. Jesus chose to die at the sixth shedding of blood, he died from love. He made an eternal judgment. Now, in the Torah law, there were two kinds of sin. One's called the sin of transgression. You didn't realize it was wrong. You transgressed. You found out it was wrong. You go and you make a sacrifice of the life of the flesh, a blood sacrifice and your sins are forgiven. The priest offers it, Old Covenant. Huh? The second kind of sin called a sin of presumption. You knew it was wrong. You shall not kill. You shall not. It's written in stone. You knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. There's no forgiveness for the sin of presumption according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you had a knowledge that it was evil. So the penalty is death. So they would take you outside the camp and they would stone you because you can't live in the community because living in the community, you'll damage the community. Now, I'm going to say something you might not believe, but it's possible that the people that they took in the Old Covenant outside of the camp and stoned them, that they went to heaven after they stoned them. Or they went to Sheol waiting for Jesus to empty Sheol so they could go to heaven. It's possible. But the issue was, if they remained in the community, they would cause the community to become a testimony of death. So they had to be removed from the community, go to heaven, because you can't bring heaven into the community because you committed the sin of presumption. Okay, that might be too heavy for you to figure out, understand. <laughs> so let me get to my point. Jesus didn't stand on that nail to give us a justice system of what's wrong is finally going to be made right. If that's what you're praying for, for what's wrong to finally be made right, you're praying weak prayers. You're going to be politically bankrupt. Because that's not what Jesus came to do. He came, didn't come to make what's wrong right. He came to make what's wrong loved. And he came to make what's right loved. And when wrong is loved, it stops being wrong. And when right is loved, it stops just being right. God will change his mind because he can't change his character. And there's many biblical examples where God changed his mind because they appealed to his character of love. So he changed his mind. Religion refuses to change their mind 
So instead, they quickly changed their character. So in the name of law, they become killers of those who break the law. When the law was broken the first time on the mountain, Moses went back up on the mountain and God could easily rewrite what was on the stones. Because although the law was broken by Moses, what wrote the law could not be broken by sin. Sin could not break what was in the Father's heart. So Jesus stood on the nail of the sixth place of shedding blood and he said something. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He released everyone to the sin of transgression. Now, he didn't say that from Torah law. He said it from the higher law, love. So you ready? Here's eternal judgment. Mercy! Eternal life for all who believe. Are you living your life to be bread for others? Will you be the bread of the body of Christ? And the proof is, will you be broken for the sake of those who are right? Will you be broken for the sake of those who are wrong? Will you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Will you break bread? Will you drink the fourth cup, the cup of the Spirit, as the community of God? Will you do that daily with Him? Will you do it daily with one another? It's called the spirit of knowing and intimacy, a, a life thing. The seventh thing and final thing is perfections, which Acts calls prayer. Prayer is not about getting your needs met. Dear Jesus, please help me. I need some milk. Jesus, I need a new coat. Father God, help me. I need to be loved. Please, God, would you give me a new job? Those are all Gentile prayers. Those are all prayers of people who don't know God. It sounds like this. Help, 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 help me, help. I'm lost, help. I need, need, need me, 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 me. God loves those prayers when Gentiles pray them. People who don't know God, they pray that way. He loves it. But those aren't Christ in humanity prayers. Christ in humanity prayers are about the next generation. They're giving the first for the sake of everything in the future. Changes the generations, changes the nations. Prayer is about what are your children and your children's children going to do. Prayer is a face-to-face, -face, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You live your life face-to-face -face with God and in awe of God because of what your children are going to do and your children's children are going to do spiritually, naturally, naturally, spiritually. You may not have any children, but still, there's a generation beyond you that's going to be the result of your prayers. The fear of the Lord and awe of God, perfections. Okay. I saw in worship people doing this. Did you know that if you did that, I know 100 years ago, you'd be executed, maybe executed. You'd be sure be excommunicated. You'd be kicked out of the church for that. In the 1960s, 1950s, if you met in a small group, you'd be kicked out of the church for that. Heresy. Okay, there's stuff that gets added to the generations because of what the former generation paid a price for. Okay, let's stand up. This week, I'm going to give you an assignment to practice some things. So practice allowing God to give you desires from within your heart that confirm your identity in Him. 
Practice doing works that testify of your belief in God as a person. You believe Him. Practice responding to the Holy Spirit from within you. Give voice to it. Respond from the inside out. Practice giving life to others by the power of Christ in you. Practice being who you are for the sake of others. Practice showing mercy and participating with others in connection to Holy Spirit as God's community. Practice praying to change your world and release blessings to the next generation. So, Holy Spirit, these things are in the foundation of Jesus. They're in the very rock of Christ. Help us grow in these things. You're doing it whether we know it or not, but we would love to be in agreement (laughs) and cooperate. In Jesus' name, amen.